It's a program of Jewish information, inspiration, motivation, and transformation. Here on the Gabrielle Sanders Show. On the air and around the globe on that WWW thing, welcome to the anticipated relaunch of the Gabrielle Sanders Show. My thanks to executive producer Zeb Brenner of the Talkline Network for the encouragement to reactivate the program. I'm coming to you now not from New York physically, but from the very heart of the world, the city of Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. If you're a past listener to The Gabriel Sanders Show, you might recall our central focus, and it's the same today, to showcase people, organizations, and opportunities for making a difference. We're also serving up compelling Jewish food for the soul, with meaningful input from popular names that you know, and some new personalities that you'll be delighted to know. We call it the fastest-moving half-hour in Jewish programming legally allowable, so let's get underway with this freshly-baked edition of The Gabriel Sanders Show. Stay tuned. Gabrielle will be right back. Hello? Gabrielle? Yes, Mr. Producer. I heard you're going back on the radio. That's true. Are you going to have any drama? I'm not sure what you mean. You know, angst. Angst? novel or film. That's not what we're about. What about hard-hitting news and controversy? You'll need the ratings. Um, we don't have ratings on this program. A pity. What about humor? Will the program be funny? It depends. Depends on what? On what you think is funny. What do you think is funny? Well, for starters, recording these conversations with you. Gabrielle, you said no drama. Now I'm feeling angst. Try a cupcake. They're good for that. You're tuned to The Gabrielle Sanders Show, broadcasting on WNEW, 102.7 FM HD3 New York, and around the world on TalklineNetwork.com. Welcome to our first segment today on The Gabrielle Sanders Show. We're speaking with Rabbi Adi Isaacs from Yerushalayim. Rabbi Isaacs is the founder and director of an organization you likely haven't heard of yet, but you certainly will in the coming weeks and months here on the program. His organization is called Thrive Study Abroad, and the website is thrivestudyabroad.org. He and his team are doing some very special work with North American college students, and I think you'll want to know about it. So, Rabbi Isaacs, welcome to The Gabrielle Sanders Show. Thank you very much, Gabriel. It's an honor and pleasure to be joining you right now. So when you started 10 years ago, what was the inspiration to bring North American Jewish college students to the Hebrew U and more recently to Tel Aviv University? I'm puzzled as to what was missing that they couldn't get just coming here on their own. It's a really important question. So no, about 13, 14 years ago, I dabbled in getting involved in birthright joining a bunch of birthright programs while they were here and joining them for Shabbos and seeing the excitement and the passion within college-age students that really did not know much about Israel or Judaism beforehand. And while they were here, just over that one Shabbos, it was so powerful. The work that Birthright is doing is unbelievable. And I realized that ultimately these college students, in a couple of years, they're going to be the young professionals and they're going to be the next generation of American Jews. And they really have no idea what is going on. And it's going to be very hard to see the number, the percentage of assimilated Jews going down. It just was uh, rising and rising. And I realized that no, something that's very important is trying to get college students to come to Israel for a significant period of time. Israel is a super unique and unprecedented place right now, the way it is in, in, in history, is that if a college student would come here for five months, which is study abroad, no matter how amazing the program is, just students being here 
for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, every week another Shabbos. Israeli society, living here, we take it for granted how Jewish everybody is, whether you're religious or you're not. But if you come from the American Jewish society, the Israelis are very, very religious. They're very cultural because everybody celebrates Yom Kippur. Everyone celebrates Sukkot. Now, every family talks about that Friday night. They go home and they have a family dinner, that they have a Shabbat meal. So getting kids to come here for five months and absorbing Judaism, as well as just getting immersed in Israeli society, would not only change them, but their family and their friends forever. And that's why we said, you know, why, we're, how could we get people to come here for five months? Study abroad makes a lot of sense. College-age students, when they're in college, they have the ability to take a semester abroad. And therefore, they can come for a semester abroad for four and a half, five months to a different destination in the world without missing any time of their life. So that's why we partnered with Hebrew University. And yes, there was an existing infrastructure. Students could study abroad here. But what we knew is that if we added an immersive Israel and Jewish experience while they're here, which means that they will spend time in the army, they'll make Israeli friends, they'll learn about the government, they'll learn a little bit about advocacy, they'll celebrate the holidays, et cetera, et cetera, is that number one, that entire package will be much more exciting for people to choose mm -hmm. Israel over Barcelona or somewhere else, that they know that when they come here, they'll really immerse in Israeli society. They'll leave and they'll be able to answer everything that people are asking about Israel. So that's number one. And number two is not only from a recruitment perspective, but from an, an impact perspective. If they come here and they do all of these things, then they will leave supercharged for the rest of their life. So that's really where it came from. And it's been unbelievable. So that bleeds right into the next question. You use the word impact. It's a thousand students later now. What's been the impact of Thrive on their campuses and even beyond? Because the ones you had in the beginning are now in their late 20s, maybe even early 30s. We're extremely proud of everything that we've accomplished over the past 10 years with our alumni. What impact means, just first and foremost, we know that anybody that has come here and has been part of the program for five months has left an indelible impact, not only on them, but on their family also. Now mm -hmm. that spans across many different, you know, metrics. However, you know, every organization defines success and impact in different way. The way that we define impact is number one, how many of them have come back to Israel within a very short amount of time? We did a study a few years ago where we had 70% of our students came back to Israel within two years. It means they spent oh. five months here. And then within two years later, they were coming back to Israel. The amount of their family members that came here while they were studying abroad also is how we define impact because parents and siblings may have never been to Israel before and them coming to visit their loved ones while they're here is also tremendously impactful. Obviously, the, our most important statistics is how many of the students got involved in leadership roles on the college campuses when they left college campuses, how many of them are continuing to be involved in the Israel and Jewish community. And thank God, it's an extremely large percentage of our students. Also, we're very proud of the fact that we have over 70 students that joined the army. We're very proud of the fact that there are over and also 70 students that are here in, in Israel. So there's a lot of tremendous things that we are so excited about. But on a whole, what we are so proud to say is that out of the thousand students, I think that there's one student, not I think, I know there's one student that left unhappy. One out of a thousand is a pretty good statistic. I would say so. Now, at the time that we're having this interview, the level of turmoil and anti-Semitic anti upheaval on college campuses is just unprecedented. How are Thrive students coping with all that? Yeah, it's an extremely challenging time. We all are following the news. We all know how challenging it is in Eretz Yisrael right now. 
and what every normal person and every single family, every single business, and of course, all of the chayalim are facing. We know how challenging it is. But if you look in America, and not only America, around the world, and especially in the college age range, it's scary because what does this mean for the future? But it's also scary for a bunch of students right now. And we're in touch with many of our students on the different college campuses. You know, Cornell, our Cornell students, right when this happened, they all got into the dining room, the Jewish dining room, and they were scared to leave for a couple of days, especially after the professor got up and made a declaration that he was exhilarated by everything that Hamas did. Students at Harvard, one person, he also, he had to make a report because he felt harassed. And you know what's going on in Harvard. You know, as of to yesterday, they finally President Gates resigned. But the issue goes much deeper. There are students that I spoke to yesterday, a student of ours in Harvard, that he doesn't feel threatened, no, physically. But he wants to leave school right now because he's scared that all of his professors or a lot of them are going to fail him in his liberal arts classes. Because since papers are very subjective, and he knows that some of his teachers are very anti-Israel, he really feels that his grade is going to be affected by that. And he tried to pull out of some of his classes and they told him it was too late. So what's happening on college campuses, yes, you see all the scary things going on on the news. I would say for the most part, most of the students there do not feel that they are physically going to be harmed. But emotionally and in the day-to-day, their interactions between professors and classes and the sentiment towards them is not in a great place right now. So in your view, is there any kind of short-term or even longer-term alternative, what we could call a safe alternative for Jewish students on campus? What are things that students can do right now? No, what's really exciting about something that we just launched um, right now in Thrive is our, our main program is a study abroad. As I mentioned before, the study abroad is very impactful and now more than ever. We just started a campaign called the I Pledge for Israel, which is, is that a student, I don't just stand for Israel, but I study in Israel. College students do have the ability to come to Israel for five months and get a full semester's worth of credit. And Israel needs your help. We are going to be rebuilding. Every person that comes to visit the Chayalim, the farms, it helps the morale tremendously. But the amount that is going to need to be done here over the next year or two is going Mm -hmm. to be profound. But not only that, Jewish students coming to Israel right now, America needs Jewish students coming to Israel right now, because what is it going to look like on college campuses in a year from now, in two years from now? What's it going to look like in the young professional world if you're working in New York City or you're working in San Francisco? Our students, what they're saying right now is that they feel like they're out in an island, that when they want to be talking about how horrible things are for Israel, everyone looks at them in their business world and says, well, what about Hamas, those poor Palestinians? And therefore, we need a stronger Jewish base in America also. And the only Mm -hmm. way to compound that is by you coming to Israel right now for five months to be here, to see what is going on firsthand, to help rebuild Israel, for you to figure out what does it mean that you are a Jew, that you believe in Israel. It is so much more important now than ever. And therefore, we started this campaign that everyone, we want all college students, even people starting in high school, to take a pledge, whether you are in a reform synagogue, a conservative synagogue, an orthodox synagogue, we need everybody to come to Israel right now. So please take this pledge that if I study abroad, I am going to choose Israel as my number one study abroad destination. And I think there's a very easy web address, ipledgeforisrael.org. 
People can go there right now while you're listening. If you're not driving, please go visit the site and share it with a college student. It's a non-binding pledge. No one's going to bill you for an airplane ticket tomorrow, but that's not the case at all. But Rabbi Isaacs, you described it as starting a solidarity movement amongst college students across the country, really, to have a personal focus on something that they really can do both for Israel as a country and for themselves as a Jew and for the Jewish family and the community that they're going to uh, temporarily leave behind back home. I have to insert that I heard you talk recently about a longer term opportunity that's opened up through the Hebrew University. Can you address that? Yeah, amazing point also. Yes, now with all the things going on on college campuses and, uh, you know, this anti-Semitism that is bubbling underground, that has come and burst out, it's more important now than ever to create more options in Israel for people to do their full degree here. We partnered with Hebrew University and Hebrew University is launching a three-year BA degree. It's $15,000 a year. Hebrew University is one of the top 77 colleges in the world, meaning you could do your degree here and then go back for master's program in America if you want. You don't have to make Aliyah to come to this program, but it's a top-notch program and an amazing environment here to be in Jerusalem for three years at $15,000 a year. I think it's a phenomenal option that people should really start considering. Coming to Israel, is the movement has already started. There's another option that should hopefully bring many more students to come in the future. Excellent. So if you want information about that, please send me an email at gavrielradio at gmail.com, and I'll make sure it gets to the right person. We've been talking with Rabbi Adi Isaacs, the founder and director of Thrive Study Abroad. So if you're a college student, or a parent or grandparent of a college student, or you know a college student in your workplace or wherever, please tell him or her about this pledge. It takes 30 seconds to declare it online. Ipledgeforisrael.org. Or on Instagram, the at sign, Ipledgeforisrael, all one word. Take the pledge, share the pledge, and let's spread the ripple effect of this important movement to bring college students together around something they can practically do to make a big difference. Because that's what this program is all about. We're creating mad Jews. M-A-D. Making a difference, Jews. Rabbi Isaacs, thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to you coming back to the Gabriel Sanders Show. All the best. Thank you very much, Gabriel. Take care. Got feedback for Gabriel? Send an email to gabrielradio at gmail.com. That's G-A-V-R-I-E-L radio at gmail.com. This is uh, Mordechai Becher. Being that I'm sitting here in New Jersey, freezing, it's uh, cold and windy outside, it's the middle of winter, I thought I would talk a little bit about winter. You see, winter gets a uh, gets very bad press in the secular world. People talk about someone reaching the winter of his days, in other words, he's he's shriveling up and dying, it's, uh, you know, winter is uh, negative summer, time of action, time of fun, time of going to the beach, and amusement parks and stuff like that, uh, summer is always good and winter is considered to be almost negative. In the Jewish perspective, we don't look at it that way. There's a few reasons we like winter. Reason number one, the Talmud says, is when winter comes along, the nights are longer. Nights are the time where it's a little quiet, it's more quiet. People are less active, you're not involved in work. Nights are time that you can devote to the study of Torah. So for the Jewish people, winter we've always looked at as a fantastic time. It's a time when you can devote more time to the study of Torah. That's an amazing perspective because we feel that the growth of a person spiritually and intellectually, emotionally and in every way through the study of Torah is probably more important than playing you know, video games, surfing or going to the beach. Even though recreation is important, even though people need 
relaxation. But on the other hand, the business of life and the important business of life, the idea of making progress in this area is so important that we look forward to winter for that reason. And uh, in the traditional yeshiva or the tertiary uh, institute for study of Judaism, the longest semester is always winter. It goes for like uh, from Cheshvan Kislev Tevet Shvat Adar. It goes for five months. And in a leap year, Jewish leap years have an extra month. Jewish leap year goes for um, the 13 months, which means the winter semester has six months. And, and I remember when I was a student in yeshiva, um, we always looked forward to the winter semester because you could really get a lot of stuff done. I mean, five solid months of study in the evenings, the long, cold evenings, you stay inside and study. You could really get a lot accomplished. I contrast that a little bit with college. And, uh, you know, it's my impression that the semesters are not that long and people don't really work that hard on the whole. That's number one component of winter, which we look forward to. Another aspect of winter is the fact that it's that it's a little quieter. It's a quieter time. Uh, if you're interested in contemplation, if you're interested in thinking, if you're interested in meditating a bit, if you're interested in creating relationships with people, with God, with yourself, then a time which is quiet is a much better time for that than a time that it's noisy and too active, etc. So winter has that other aspect to it, which is which is something we enjoy. Third point, which I don't know if I've spoken about before, but I may have. The third point is that uh, it's interesting in Judaism, you find in the writings of many of the great sages that they refer to the days of their youth with the term Yemei Churfi. Now, some say that means the days of my sharpness when I was sharp, but there are many who say that what it actually means, Yemei Churfi, means the days of my winter. So they refer to youth as winter. That's type of interesting, because I think in the secular world, youth is usually referred to as spring or summer, and old age is referred to as winter. Why in Jewish tradition is it the reverse? Why is old age summer or spring and youth is winter? And the reason for that is given by the Maharal and elaborated upon by my teacher of Moshe Shapiro, is that if your view of life is material and the purpose of life is to harvest the material benefits of the world, then the time that you can do that, the time that you can eat most, the time that you can love the most, the time that you can do the most vigorous exercise and in, and have the most fun, etc., is youth. Because that's harvest time. That's why you're here in this world. If you look at the world as materialistic and the purpose of life is to harvest as much as you can from this material world, then clearly harvest time, which is uh, summer and spring, which is, is youth time. In winter, that's when you shrivel up and die. That's old age. It's useless then. It's pathetic time. But on the other hand, if you look at life from a little more of a spiritual perspective, you see winter is youth because winter is when things things are uh, lying dormant, so to speak, and absorbing, absorbing the energy, absorbing the nutrients, absorbing the snow melt. And when it comes to a later stage, spring, summer, then the buds will come out, the flowers will come out, and eventually the fruit will come out. So you see, we look at youth as a time in which we are investing, a time where we're absorbing nutrients, a time where we're absorbing growth. And when do we harvest that? We harvest what we did in our old age. We harvest it then. You know, a person in their old age sees their children and grandchildren acting as decent human beings. They see their grandchildren, children, grandchildren marrying decent human beings, raising good families. That's when you're harvesting the fruits of your labor. So when we look at old age, we'd say old age is harvest time. Youth is when you are planting. 
Anyway, um, as they say in Yiddish, a gesunter winter. Everyone have a healthy winter. Thanks for listening. This is Rabbi Pesach Krohn, and you're tuned to the Gabriel Sanders Show. My thanks to Rabbi Becher for his comments on winter. He's always got something substantive to say, and it was a serendipity bumping into him last week here in Yerushalayim, along with Rabbi David Foreman. And we'll be presenting Jewish soul food from both of these outstanding speakers, and many more, in upcoming editions of the program. Speaking of substantive content, I'm frequently contacted by people who ask me questions about Jewish living and learning, especially by people who, as I did, migrated out of the church world, and they're wondering what, if anything, Judaism has to offer their spiritual aspirations. So I'd like to recommend to everyone now a content-rich website, the name of which is hard to forget. Why? Because it's called (laughs) simpletoremember.com. You'll find some very compelling articles, inspiring videos, uh, excellent audio files, and they're presented by some of the finest minds in the Torah Observant world. I especially like to recommend the resources there from one of my mentors, Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman, with whom I had the privilege of learning for a couple of years. And so, check out simpletoremember.com. Now, I'd like to introduce you to a rising influencer from the Gen Z demographic. His name is Nathan Kolish, and he's been cracking the algorithm on a number of life hacks for success. There are several remarkable things about him, not the least of which, for now anyway, is his age. He's 17. But an old soul speaks through him, which is why he's sought out as a motivational speaker to teens and young adults. And really, for anyone that has a chance to hear him, like right now on The Gabrielle Sanders Show. Nathan, over to you. Thank you, Gabrielle. You truly do have a way with words. What if, what if there is a secret? What if we're much more like superheroes than we've ever believed? What if we walked around the world with the ability to impact it like Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rambam, the Arizal, and even the Labavitcher Rebbe? What if we could be a force for good and make the world an even greater place? What if you can have more magic, passion, fulfillment, love, adventure, emuna, confidence, fire, aspiration, transcendence, fun, bliss, simcha, ecstasy, and every other feeling you want? What if there's a formula that is the formula of formulas to predictably create all of this? What if Natan Hanavi, David, and Shul HaMelech, Yahshua, and Elon Musk, what do they all have in common? They all possess the superpower of modeling. What is modeling? Modeling compresses decades into days. Modeling tells us what we need to do to get the outcome we desire. It's the knowing. It's learning from what people actually do, not just what they say they do. And since our actions are dictated by our beliefs, if we believe what they believe, then We'll do what they do, and if we do what they do, then we'll get the same result that they've already gotten. Well, someone might ask, what's the difference between modeling and copying? Copying is when you're like stealing intellectual property, so outside of doing anything illegal, modeling is copying. So the million dollar question is, who do I model? They have to have done two things. First, you've got to get it from somebody who's got it, meaning they have to have produced the result themselves. And secondly, they have to have also taught others to do the same. For example, if you're learning Dafyomi to get closer to Hashem and you want to remember more of what you learned, you can model somebody who's not only outstanding at remembering what they learned themselves, but they've also taught other people to do the same thing as they did. 
You'll then begin to study their framework or their techniques. And once you implement it, you'll soon see yourself remembering more of what you learned at the same level that this person is able to. It helps when you partner with somebody in your aspirations. So I want to be your cheerleader. I'll send you a PDF for free that can help you get further faster. So send me an email. It's nathancolish at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-C-O-L-I-S-H at gmail.com. You're tuned to The Gabrielle Sanders Show, broadcasting on WNEW, 102.7 FM HD3 New York, and around the world on TalklineNetwork.com. I'd like to sign off today with a short thought linked to this week's Torah portion from Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus. Here we encounter the onset of the Ten Plagues, the stubbornness of Paro, and Hashem's remembrance of the covenant that he made with Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov to enable their descendants to dwell and to thrive in the land of Israel. But at this point in the narrative, they're neither in the land nor are they thriving. So how can we look at this? Most of us know and can take comfort from the familiar phrase, Ma'aseh avot siman labanim. The deeds of our forefathers are assigned for the children. Their forerunner experiences sort of cascade down through the ages to provide us with principles and examples of how to manage the exigencies of Jewish life in a very unfriendly world. A companion phrase, also well-known, is the concept of a yerida letzorech aliyah, a descent for the purpose of ascent. So when we put these two phrases together, we create the optics of our ancestors navigating life's downs to achieve Hashem's ups. Hasidic thought infers that we all as neshamot, all as souls, descended earthward to elevate this realm and our physical, moral, and intellectual selves along with it. All of this in anticipation of returning to an even higher realm than the one from which we came. So with that preamble out of the way, I suggest that we can view the events of Sefer Shemot as a macro for stabilizing our place in time and space. The Exodus story is infused with reasons for hope in our own puzzling, angst-riddled moments in history, especially during the current Gaza war. The God who led B'nai Yisrael down is the God who will lead them up. He'll override the natural order to demonstrate his allegiance to the covenant that he made with the fathers for the benefit of their children, even though they'd fallen so far. As for them then... So for us now. So I'm wishing you a good week, a safe week, wherever you are. Shabbat Shalom with Brachot B'Shefa, blessings abundant. And let's try to do at least one unexpected good thing for somebody today. So till our next program, remember, we don't need much in this life except to do much in this life. And remember our emphasis from the head of the program. Students, go to ipledgeforisrael.org and take the pledge to make Israel your first choice to study abroad. Thanks again to Zeb Brenner for being our executive producer. Thanks to Aaron Michelle for her voiceover expertise. And thanks to Jason Shaw of Audionautics for our intro-outro music bits. Koltuf from Yerushalayim. This program showcases people, organizations, and opportunities for making a difference. Tune in next week for another freshly baked edition of the Gabrielle Sanders Show. You can reach Gabrielle at GabrielleRadio at gmail.com. That's G-A-V-R-I-E-L radio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.